0: How you guys doing, Chine Magic Family? This is your host, Mark Karaki. Excited to bring you yet another episode of the podcast. This week, we host an amazing female founder, Francisca Red, who is the co founder of Unconventional Capital, which is a startup financing platform. And they are taking a very unique and differentiated approach to startup financing and entrepreneurial funding. Can't wait for you to hear how they are tackling this and her story as an entrepreneur. Uh, She's originally from Germany, and she's doing some uh, exciting work that could unlock our ecosystem and provide solutions that are very much needed in terms of supporting innovation and entrepreneurship in the continent. Enjoy the podcast.
1: My name is Franziska. It's German. So it's very hard to pronounce it, I think, in, in general. But you can call me Fran for this conversation if you want to. Um, so I'm born and raised in Germany. I'm usually located in Munich. Um at the moment I'm actually in Nairobi. I've been here for the last four weeks for the launch basically of our new platform at UNCAP. And so basically, what um what UNCAP does is that we're like a, a we're funding and a growth platform, um, and we're providing access to funding for early stage entrepreneurs. And our goal is that at some point, every good early-stage entrepreneur in sub-Saharan Africa gets access to funding. Um, And I think at the moment, we're talking about like 20 plus million early-stage entrepreneurs, 98% of them not having access to funding. And I think that really um, basically limits the growth um, that could happen if these early-stage entrepreneurs get the chance to grow their business to like a Medium sized or large um, company, um, create jobs, um, provide services that are needed, um, produce products that are needed. Our goal is to invest 1 billion over the next 10 years in 50,000 entrepreneurs. I know that sounds crazy and audacious, and I think it is. <laughs> but even then, we're talking about like, a, a, like an absolute drop in the ocean when we're talking about access to funding in, in sub Saharan Africa.
0: Mm. Interesting. So, Fran, a ton of questions, but the first one will be: Sure, where where did you grow up in Germany? Where are you from in Germany? Oh, sure. <laughs> sure.
1: Sorry, I was like, I, I identify so much with the company that I always think, well, this is my identity. But <laughs> so, so I grew up in I grew up in Bavaria, um, so in the southern part of Germany, and about like an hour away from from Munich in a town called Regensburg. If, anyone ever comes to Bavaria it's one of the most beautiful towns there so make sure
0: to check it out <laughs> okay um, yeah <laughs> so so that's where you grew up went to high school um and then you went to university yeah. somewhere else So how did that play out
1: yeah I did so basically I grew up in Ringsburg um I was a very um early Greenpeace activist during that day, so I was basically running around town dressed like a chicken (laughs) to kind of like raise attention for mass production of meat and things like that. Um, I then actually chose to go to Frankfurt, study business administration and work for Deutsche Bank. So kind of like really from the very bright side (laughs) to the dark side, you could even say. But I just I wanted to understand how money works, because I have the feeling that if you like it or not, money makes the world go round. You need to understand it to even make a difference. So I've been there for a couple of years, studied there, um, worked at Deutsche Bank, did a semester abroad in Moscow, uh, in Russia. I really enjoyed it. I was there during the winter. Uh, it was awesome. I couldn't understand anyone, but I just really enjoyed it. Went to work in New York for a couple of months. After that, I actually left Deutsche Bank and then did my master's in Rotterdam in the Netherlands um, and in Istanbul and Turkey. And then started working for a consultancy on strategy sustainability, mostly focused on environmental topics, circular economy, etc. Learned a lot. I mean, it's true what they say, steep learning curve. I was seconded to the World Economic Forum Geneva for a year, actually more than a year. I um, really enjoyed that. And then I was at a point where the feeling delivering presentations and then, then not being part of the action is just not enough anymore. <laughs> so I really had the feeling I want to do something. And that was basically before we, we started Uncap. Yeah.
0: So I, I got to say, just looking at your background, it's unconventional from a um, <laughs> startup, uh, somebody who, somebody, who, well, it, it's a non-startup completely. It's the opposite of startup. It's the, it's the yes, complete, yes. right? It's a dark it's side, actually. It so, is, yeah. <laughs> so how do you square that reality, right? Like, you know, when I look at that, I'm, you know, how do you deal with that, with that reality? Like you're coming from that side and saying, yeah, I, I'm going to do this in Africa. Right, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. which none of your background speaks overall, Mm -hmm. right? So, so yeah, how do you square that cognitive dissonance?
1: I mean, it's it's a very good question. I think also just just coming from a corporate background. Is mm-hmm. really, it's the opposite of being entrepreneurial. <laughs> right. um, and I think I'm I'm actually more an entrepreneur by accident and also like a fintech entrepreneur by accident. But I will all, was always like from the early stages, like at, at Greenpeace, I was always driven by how can we actually make an impact? How can we make the world better? Like then I didn't really have a clue a lot about the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think over time I realized that I think there are basically two parts to sustainability. So it's either kind of like it's the environmental part, but then there's the social part. Um, And I always had the feeling that I'm even more drawn to the social part. Like how can you actually increase livelihoods for people? And when we started Uncap, it was actually quite a rational decision. So for us, it was very clear. We were very inspired for entrepreneurship um, and looked at, well, where do we think at this moment in time, does entrepreneurship have the the biggest catalytic potential for societal development. Um, and that was just very, very clearly Africa. And we were even a little bit hesitant in the beginning, but because we were like, oh, yet another two white people doing something in Africa. <laughs> like, is that really needed? Um, but it just, it just made sense. Um, and especially when we then started looking at the gap. And I think there's like, there's this huge, entrepreneurial awesome continent with like plenty of young well-educated entrepreneur people and then there's a lot of funding in europe or generally in the west like how can you actually bring these two things together um mm-hmm. but i'm I, like i must be honest that especially in the beginning when we started the company um growing into this mindset of an entrepreneur and leaving behind the corporate systems wasn't 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 that easy (laughs) because suddenly you're out on your own right there are no managers there are no supervisors there are no i mean i didn't even have a printer (laughs) like like, and then yeah it's like simple things like that right um but then i mean since i'm doing it like oh my god i i love it i think it's the It's the most exciting thing I have, one most rewarding thing I have ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Also the most exhausting, but...
0: (laughs) Yeah, very interesting. You've touched on a bunch of different things. So you say we, so who's the other person in the... Who are the other people?
1: Yeah, so I started with my co-founder, Isabel. She's currently on leave. She just had a baby last year. Um, And so at the moment, it's it's me and, of course, our team.
0: So, and, and where did they idea come from what were you guys what was the aha moment where you're like okay I need to leave corporate and go do this thing what was that progression how did that come about
1: so it's actually so basically I was at a moment where I said so I had the opportunity to basically after spending one and a half years at the World Economic Forum in Geneva um, I was supposed to go back to consulting and I just and at, at the World Economic Forum I was dealing with topics on a much higher level. So basically mm-hmm. I was working with governments, with corporates, with NGOs about circular economy at, at kind of like a global level. And that was already quite satisfying, but the speed of change was just not so satisfying. Delicious. So <laughs> so it's kind of like a lot of talking, a lot of talking. And oh I mean, goodness. those talks are in, in, in really, they're incredibly important, but I don't have the patience. to kind of like have conversations for 10 years and then change something Uh, um and so (laughs) but i felt like okay this is the moment like i don't want to go back to consulting i don't want to go back to producing presentations and then isabel she quit her job a while uh half a year before she traveled through india with her husband and she was also at a point where she said i'm not going back to my corporate job and i want to do something myself um And that's basically basically how we started. And I think the last push we got, and I'm going to be very honest about this here, is that her husband actually said, well, if you guys want to do that, I will fund you for the first couple of months. Um, And I'm not sure if without the security of having funding for a few months, I would have had the guts to do it back then. I I didn't consider myself a great entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I would have the... if I would have what it takes (laughs) so that actually kind of like helped me get in there Mm -hmm. Um, and I think also my co founder but that's Mm -hmm. obviously a very very privileged situation
0: okay um so so you 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 guys decided we don't want to do what we used to do but Mm -hmm. now how do you decide that this is what we're going to do so the specific you know Africa capital entrepreneurship because none of none of your background. So I think that yeah. The
1: there, <laughs> right. I mean, I always had the feeling that finance can be a force for good. Mm-hmm. That finance is something that is actually could be ha- could have a very positive effect. And then when we basically we set out, we already had the feeling that if you really want to tackle a problem at scale you probably want to go the route of entrepreneurship. Because entrepreneurship usually involves self-determination. It involves bottom-up growth. It involves power to local people. Um, And so we have this feeling like we want to support entrepreneurs in some some matter, Mm -hmm. capacity. We didn't know how at all, like really at all. (laughs) Um, And so we said, rationally, Africa makes the most sense. What's the biggest gap there for supporting entrepreneurship? It's financing, Um, and then and that was something I could get behind. Right, because of like financing. Finally, I'm at a point where I can actually use my knowledge for something meaningful, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's how we started. And we actually back then we started very naively, I would say. (laughs) In hindsight, it it was actually good. Yeah, yeah, I think in hindsight it was was correct. So, but um, yeah we didn't know what it would turn into that it would turn into a fintech and uh, all the things that came later
0: fantastic and so how long have you guys been operating
1: so we started the company in 2019 in summer 2019 we started working on this idea of kind of like automated access to funding something in that direction about half a year earlier and so we've been kind of like operating ever since we have did our first investments back then but it was more, it was very much a pilot stage. So I think actually what we're doing now, the platform we just launched two weeks ago is the first like true being operational.
0: Okay. And and how much capital have you deployed? Have you deployed any capital so far? Have you made any investments?
1: So we've did with our first with our first basically pilot investment court, <laughs> we deployed around half a million. Into 27 entrepreneurs, um, and at this moment, we with the we just opened up a call for applications. We want to fund at least 100 entrepreneurs by the end of the year. Our internal goal is a little bit higher, <laughs> and this will be around four to five million.
0: Wow, that's uh, an amazing pace. And how do you what's your what's your hypothesis or thesis rather? You know, how do you pick? Uh, mm. You know. And do you have a geography? Do you have a sector? Mm-hmm. What's your thesis?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is actually now where, where it gets unconventional. <laughs> so I think the... Okay, so how do I start? So basically, when we start, we said our ambition is that as many entrepreneurs as possible get access to funding. We want to focus on early-stage entrepreneurs because this is where you need to start building a pipeline. Um, it's very hard to invest in early-stage entrepreneurs because the investment they need at the beginning is too large for microfinance. It's way too small for investors, so it's just not economically viable for them to do it, and it's too risky for banks. So how can we actually invest in early stage entrepreneurs in a way that is hugely scalable, that is unbiased, and that is also economically viable? And so we basically had to deconstruct the whole investment process and that wasn't too hard because we didn't know a lot about the investment process back then <laughs> and really say, okay, we need to lower the cost. We need to make it fast. We need to make it unbiased. What is really essential to a due diligence of an early stage entrepreneurs? Like what is the, what is the one thing you really need to know before you invest? And what are things that are nice to know? And so we decided to absolutely double down on the founder or the founding team, because we think this is really what makes or breaks an early stage entrepreneur uh, an early stage company. So you want to have something who has the personality, the grit, the commitment, the behavior and the skills to build a great company, to make the right decisions, to pivot if needed. All the other things, building a fancy pitch deck, writing a nice business plan, coming up with some bogus numbers, <laughs> um, picking the right markets. I mean, those are all things nice to know. They will change anyways. So then we ask, like, how do you actually well, how do you measure if someone is a good founder? Um, And how do you measure it in a way that is not dependent on our personal opinion? Mm -hmm. Because this is something we realized very early on when we did our first pilot round and we met entrepreneurs, they were all fantastic, but we were drawn to the ones that are more Western, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. speak more like us. And that was like this really like, okay, this this can happen. Mm -hmm. And everyone talks about, Bias and investment processes, the bias is there. You need to take it out in order to democratize the access. Um, And I think that's basically how it all started. Right. Um, And then we experiment with personality tests, started with working with a researcher, um, with skill tests, all these different things. And basically what we do now is that we have a fully automated platform. Entrepreneurs just go on the website, they click apply, they sign up with a profile, And then they go through a number of different steps, all of them automated um, around certain personality traits, around their understanding of their business, around their financial understanding, um, their growth mindset, all these kind of things. And then that's it. And then basically the scores behind that make the decision if we fund someone or not. So at no point in time do we personally make any decisions. And that means I think we can target many, like we can lower the cost we can um, source and select much more entrepreneurs than you would usually be able to do. But I think we're also able to fund entrepreneurs that are not on anyone's radar. They don't have the right networks and they maybe are not that obviously in presenting themselves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is basically how how we do our due diligence.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, um how do you ensure that a smart entrepreneur can't because entrepreneurs by definition are <laughs> money, that they don't gain the system right like that's yeah. the definition of being an entrepreneur i'm like okay let me let me reverse engineer mm-hmm. this thing and answer the questions in the right way so I can get the outcome mm-hmm. they want how How do you ensure that
1: I mean, so you could say. If it's a smart entrepreneur like in what way would this entrepreneur want to game the system i mean he or she could game it in a way where they pretend that they've been working on it much longer than they that they actually have mm-hmm. but to be honest as long as a smart entrepreneur we probably still make the right decision <laughs> if it's not an entrepreneur in some you know
0: here's the thing here's, here's one reality that is an unfortunate reality in mm-hmm. in this in, 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 in Africa and in our market right is in general people still haven't bought onto the notion of putting in be like putting in effort to build something like significant mm-hmm. i mean the only reason people get entrepreneurship usually survival right they're just trying to survive so if I can actually get mm-hmm. money to survive, the ends justify the means, right? You know what I mean? So this notion that yeah. I'm going to actually yeah. and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but this is a reality, okay? This is just the fact on the ground, mm-hmm. where, you know, people have different perspectives in terms of, okay, they can justify very, very clearly in their minds, look, um, I'm going to get this money so I can go do this other thing that has mm-hmm. nothing to mm-hmm. do with why I'm... Pre-. So there, there are all these realities. So... Uh, <laughs> And, and look, I, I, am, I like what you're doing. Um, I think it's, it's, it's needed. Uh, you will learn a lot by doing it. You know more about it than I do, so mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try and... Um, but I'm, I'm just... Because I'm just, I want it to work and, I'm, mm-hmm. and I see your authenticity. <laughs> I've got to be like... You know, I've got to ask a question. Um, so based on that, where do you think you are in terms of your approach maturity? Or, or soundness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. On you know, are you twenty percent? Um, are you fifty percent there? Are you ninety percent there? We're pretty confident. This, you know, what I'm saying. We've covered all the loopholes. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's probably around sixty percent. So we did learn a lot through the first investment cohort. Mm-hmm. We also learned a lot, also just kind of like being in the market, talking to people. And I mean, when you when you ask about fraud, I was giving you the nice answer, of course, like one part of the answer is we have, I mean, I mentioned that we, we work a lot with behavior economists mm-hmm. and basically like behavior science in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have kind of like uh, checks in place about certain authenticity, about commitment, mm-hmm. um, where we're really looking at, is this person actually running a business and actually committed to scaling this business? Probably the process is not perfect yet, as you said, And the good thing is with this new application round, we're for the first time collecting a lot of data that will help us improve the process, the algorithm, the KPIs, the prediction, et cetera, um, immensely over the next years. And I think, so the things we could try and adapt and do are probably endless. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just a question of, do you pick up on when things are going wrong early enough? And are you then able to respond to it?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting uh exciting challenge um i love it i I think if to the extent you can be successful the impact can be huge um there's Mm -hmm. also the cultural element so i work in the same vein but in a very very different approach um but kind of much more focused on both building companies but also shifting mindsets in a much more organic Mm -hmm. way and we can talk about that offline um but yeah, uh, and the question becomes: So, how did you guys, you know, okay, how did you guys get started and convince entrepreneurs, and, and investors that they should put money behind this, right? Mm-hmm. What was your first breakthrough, and what mm-hmm. was that process like, right? Like it's such an it's a, it's a, it's yeah it's it's a it's a very compelling idea, but purely untested, and you guys are untested entrepreneurs. How did you manage that process? Mm-hmm. What, what what was that like?
1: <laughs> it was. I'm, I'm actually, in my mind, I'm going back and forth between well, it was actually not too bad and was like, no, it was really difficult. <laughs> so I think so actually, in the very beginning, um we had uh, we were able to convince a couple of investors just with this crazy idea of there's a huge market, there's a huge untapped potential. We are using a completely different approach that is based on technology to address that. And then there were a few investors who were like, oh, sounds cool. I think this could work. Then a couple of months later, um, we were doing more work. And I think investors who were looking at us then were like, um, they they had to be convinced outside of just the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think we met many investors who did not believe in what we're doing at all. <laughs> like there were many conversations with people who were active in the market and who said, this will never work. Like, how can you even think about that? Um, and for us, it was at some time, sometimes it was um, demotivating, but in other times we're like, well, it just means you're doing something truly disruptive. It just mm-hmm. means you could be onto something and at least it's bold enough. Um, mm-hmm. And I think playing into that was Probably also that we're two female founders building a fintech. Um, So I think actually that doesn't really help. At least it didn't back then. Maybe things have changed a little bit over the last one and a half years. And especially like female entrepreneurs who are in their early thirties. So in a childbearing age (laughs) where investors are worried that you would have kids and just forget all about your business. Um, And I think so. We, I mean, we talked to plenty of investors
0: and and it was just quite nerve-wracking were they german or european or american
1: they were no so they were all german and it was basically a mix of from these very first investors they made some basically introductions to others but then also pure outreach so one of our last investors, I basically read about them on LinkedIn. <laughs> they are two women and I really liked how they described their investment thesis. And so I looked up if I, if I know someone who knows them could make me an intro. So that was basically a very quite, quite a cult acquisition of them mm-hmm. um, and I think the good thing is that although it was extremely time consuming and sometimes just very disappointing because you need to tell your story again and again, and convince people to invest, we also in doing that time build a very broad network. Mm -hmm. And so most of them still wanted to stay in touch, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think um, that by now we know many people in that in that ecosystem in Germany, but also over here, um, that we can call on if there's a question or something. So it's not really lost time, it's just a lot of nerves. (laughs)
0: awesome um so whats what's your I guess two, what, first question is what's your uh, ticket size the range of in- mm-hmm. what's your ticket size mm-hmm. right
1: now mm-hmm. yeah so we're investing at the moment between ten to fifty thousand dollars, so okay. we're really kind of like targeting that that first ticket that you that might need as an entrepreneur mm-hmm.
0: and do you have uh, a take rate what's your what's what's your uh, you know take rate what what are you hoping to <laughs> What's your equity kind of target?
1: So we're basically, we're not investing straight equity. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we started building our product, we also had to think about, well, how do you actually like practically, like, how do you invest in potentially thousands of entrepreneurs, you, you can sit down with them and discuss valuations. And uh, to be honest, at that stage, valuations are also just, I mean, it's just, yeah. Sorry, I don't want to say the world, but <laughs> <Find> the <guy. laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't really tell you anything. And at the same time, so our target group are local entrepreneurs with a scalable business model. But we're not talking exponential growth. Mm-hmm. We're talking about you can grow over time from a small company to maybe a medium-sized company or a large company. You create jobs on the go. Um, and so it was very obvious that equity is not actually the way to go because they will probably don't want to sell their company. I think from a societal standpoint, they shouldn't sell their company um, and they probably also not will not have the offer. So we had, about, we had to think about a, either like a self-liquidating structure or something that's just basically enables us to get our cash back eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we came up with in the end is some type of revenue-based financing model. Mm -hmm. So we basically, we buy equity in the company, and then they buy that equity back at a multiple that we set beforehand through their revenues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just kind of like, as they grow, um, they're speeding up their payments, and it's kind of like, over time, buy
0: back their equity. So it's basically debt, essentially, right? Equity
1: I mean, a, it, it's really. <laughs> it, I had so many discussions about that, and I think I mean it is equity <laughs> because we buy shares, um, and the thing that we don't know is the time frame. Got it. So okay. in debt, you usually you have fixed payments, you have a time frame. Right. We don't have a time frame, so there will be. So it's still a calculation where some of our entrepreneurs will scale super fast. Right. Then they buy back their equity in maybe three years, but then others will take twelve years. And both of that for us is okay. So we're basically calculating with kind of like an an average between it.
0: So it's an insurance product.
1: (laughs) To some extent, it is. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) to some extent, it is. It really is. Because, I mean, if you are doing 200 investments in early stage companies across different countries and industries, you automatically have a lower risk than with your typical venture portfolio.
0: Yeah, makes sense makes sense I, I i think it's great i think it's how you're thinking about it um okay so where are you guys right now in terms of uh total allocation what's your how much have you guys raised it, it, it
1: um, so <laughs> we're we're still we're still in the process of raising our first official funding vehicle so i mean this is a little bit technical but mm-hmm. When we first started on cap and we wanted to do our first investments, it was very clear to us that it doesn't make sense to set up a fund and they will be incredibly difficult to raise funding for an early stage fund. So we decided to take it all on our own balance sheet and raise funding for us as a fintech covering the first round of investments. Mm. Um, we then watched those investments, learned, built the tech platform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now we set up our first investment vehicle. It's not, technically a fund it's a a holding company um and through from that holding company we'll do this kind of like current round of investments we raised we have soft commitments for a little bit more than two million but we're still raising um and depending on how much we raise we'll do more investments than planned and this is for us first first scaling step basically
0: Mm, wow okay Sounds good. Well, it's it's all it's all <laughs> ahead of you essentially. It's all forward. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so so looking back, you know, I'm sure you've had moments where you're like, man, you're, I'm, are you am Am I crazy? Why am I doing this? I'm sure you've had the moments Because i you know I've been through the same journey and and, and then mm. you know where are you in that in that evolution? Are you? Because for me, the way I thought about it is when I started my journey, um, it was every hour or even every half hour where I would kind of go back to this, you know, I'm added <laughs> cell, like, you know, like, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? And then it would become every three hours and then every half a day and then every day and then <laughs> every few days. And I'm happy to tell you that it, now it's, it's, uh, it doesn't happen anymore, so, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. But where are you in that cycle? How, how often do you mm. say, "Are you crazy?" How was that, <laughs> Um, so I
1: still do it, <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> I'm not there yet. Um, but I think by now it's probably every couple of months. So there was quite a steep growth when it comes to that over the last one and a half years, mm. and I think that's, pretty much also due to, I mean, now with this platform, we actually have something as tangible as it gets with our product. Mm. So we have something that we created, we created based on learnings, we created based on testing hypotheses. Um, We've done our first investment round, we know how they perform, we're actually getting money back and we're now also, we have a team, right? In the beginning, I mean, it's basically you alone or you and your co-founder and I think being able to build a team of people that also they they want to stay with you (laughs) so Mm -hmm. not running away after two months being with the company because they're like are you insane Mm -hmm. um and you're even able to convince really really good people joining the team Mm -hmm. that is something that helped me a lot Mm -hmm. and at this moment i have the feeling that i mean although i identify highly with uncap and there's probably most of the time, I don't think about anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, UNCAP is not me. UNCAP is the team. Mm-hmm. And at this moment, we have a team that is just absolutely amazing. And okay. I have the feeling we're this collective brain. And together, with every new person joining, at least we're, until like we're still quite small, we're just our decision-making gets better and better. Um, and we're also basing it on more experiences on actual learnings. So at the moment, I'm in a good phase where I'm like, this could actually work. Nice. <laughs> we're onto something. For the first time, we're getting some positive recognition from the market, from other investors. Um, but I'm pretty sure that a couple of months um, could also be, could, could be different again. Um, but that's just, I, I learned to be okay with that eventually. In the beginning, I think it was very nerve wracking.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. How, 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 what's the size of the team right now? And the composition in terms of geography and and, 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 and I guess goals. yeah yeah.
1: So we basically I think we made really good progress there because we started off with a purely German team, mm-hmm. and there was something that always bothered me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always had the feeling: how can we build something for for this market? And we are all based in Germany, and we're all German. Like this, this can't work. No. But I think in the beginning, yeah. you're so you're so everything is so fragile that you just you hire the people, you know, (laughs) um, and you know that you can trust them. Um, And so we (laughs) because it's basically it's someone in your network, right? And you're the beginning. This just weighs more than everything else. Um, And so we um, started hiring um, locally here in the market last year. And I also set myself the ambition that from last year on, we're only hiring people here in the region. Only locals, mm-hmm. And so at the moment we have basically, um, we have three people in Munich. It's our CEO, Johannes, um, who at least lived here for six years and ran a business here. Elias, who's our product lead. Um, and then we have Ruven in Berlin, who is our CTO. He's actually one of our investors, <laughs> turned into our CTO. Mm-hmm. Then it's me as the CEO. Um, my co-founder is currently um, on maternity leave. And then we have, we just hired Esther, um, she's based in Nairobi, she's our investment lead in um, Wambui, she's our marketing lead. And we're currently hiring for one more role, we're looking for like a kick-ass data scientist, behavior economist, who will lead that whole further developing the algorithm, machine learning, running experiments, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think then we will good for... Probably a couple of months, <laughs> um, and then we need. To, then we'll see. Basically, with this new portfolio of like a hundred plus investments, where do we need to build on more capacities in the team?
0: Fantastic. Well, you gotta you gotta take a look at Jenga School. That's J E N G A Jenga School, which is a STEM mm-hmm. institution that produces kick-ass data scientists and software engineers. Uh, full disclosure: I have a personal interest in that company, but it is you <laughs> should you take a look at it. Um, yeah, oh, no, I mean, thank you. Yeah, those the, the talent demand is huge here, uh, yeah, obviously tech talent and uh, around the world actually. But um yeah, they're looking to solve that problem. Hey, listen, I, I have enjoyed space. talking to you, and and this is so it's a it's a different conversation that I had that I hadn't expected or <laughs> thinking it would be like. um You're very self-aware. I hope in a good way. You <laughs> know, in, in a very, in a, in a much, in a very good way. You know, because. You know how it is right you've talked about you have mentioned it all along the conversation it's about you know global north coming to save africa and and without any kind of consideration for the reality on the ground and how people have a how there's a point of view and a way of being and all that stuff and no respect for that and that just leads to all kinds of problems right um you know historically and even currently and the idea that you're sensitive to those things and long may it continue because that's where the real the real difference lies in your ability to actually be like, yo, let me actually let me immerse myself into the mm-hmm. environment in which I'm trying to kind of uh, make a difference in and you know, hire locally, work find local people, have that very research oriented, objective, self aware approach. Very, very and I think that's that's that that right there is where a lot of people miss the boat and miss the opportunity and so yeah congratulations i i mm. uh, i wish you all the best and I'm you know looking forward to kind of working with you and and getting to know you better and support championing the cause as well
1: it, it was an absolute pleasure and like what you just said that that means a lot to me and I know we're also we're still not perfect but I really hope that other people who know it better will challenge us <laughs> on the things that we do and thank you so much it was a really really nice conversation with you and next time and around we'll make sure to meet in person and i would love to learn more about your background you're hinting to it and it sounds very interesting um so would love to to dive deeper
0: yeah fantastic